A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm glad you're with us on the program today. And by us, I don't just mean me and my imaginary friend. No, uh, Stephen Gatowski of The Reload is going to be dropping by in just a moment or two. We're going to be talking about the NRA annual meeting coming up this weekend in Houston, Texas. Uh, both The Reload and Bearing Arms will be on the ground reporting from Houston. Uh, I'll be getting in on Thursday. Thursday is my travel day, so... Uh, uh, we'll be reporting there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and a bit of Monday as well uh, from the uh, NRA board meeting before uh, I head back. Uh, what holiday weekend? What are you talking about? But there are uh, a lot of things to talk about surrounding the NRA annual meeting. It's the first one, uh, first full-scale uh, NRA annual meeting in Houston, uh, well, anywhere, uh, since 2019 because, you know, COVID got in the way. I've been at all of our lives, but uh, this year? Looking to be pretty big, certainly uh, bigger than last year, where only a couple of hundred people attended the uh, members' meeting in a very, very scaled-down uh, uh, NRA meeting in Charlotte, North Carolina. So let's talk about some of those questions and uh, the anticipation for the meeting with uh, the Reload Steve Gatowski. Take a look and a listen. Let's just talk, first of all, about the the event itself. I mean, you know, the last time, I think it was the last NRA meeting in Indianapolis, set a record, almost 90,000 attendees. Here we are in a, you know, COVID world. Uh, I haven't heard anybody saying, you know, we think we're going to break that record. Was also, you know, this is being held over Memorial Day weekend. Is uh, As I've been talking to folks, there are some people who I know who usually go who say, ah, eh, this weekend is just not working out for me. Um, what, what are you hearing any numbers and what do you think a quote unquote reasonable figure would be in this environment that we're only in? Yeah, uh, I mean, I've heard a couple of friends say the same thing. Although they're they're like media people, so it's, I guess the in, the incentives might be a little different. Um, you know, it's hard to say. I, I doubt that they'll be anywhere near the level they were in Indianapolis for several reasons, right? The not just um, the fact that that the, they've had all this controversy and internal struggle over the last several years, but but yeah, also COVID. I mean, it's still. Uh, obviously things are, uh, you know, returning to a more normal state than they were, but I don't know that that means we're going to get 80,000 people out to this convention, but uh, you know, uh, maybe we will. People may miss doing to these things. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's, it, it really is an unknown question. Um, shot show. If you want to look back at shot show, aver- you know, the attendance there had been averaging about 55,000 people, which is big uh, for Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. This year's shot show, I think, was closer to 40, 45,000, right? So there was a decline, but frankly, not as steep a drop uh, as what I was into. Not as steep a drop we'd seen from other Vegas shows like Consumer Electronics Show, which had a you know pretty steep decline in attendance. So again, I mean, this is sort of one of the unknowns, right? Um, I was looking at hotels uh, in Houston uh, for this weekend, you can still find them. The they're 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 hard, you know. But it cheap. does yeah. seem like there's a yeah yeah. You're gonna be paying through the nose this weekend too if you want to stay downtown uh, Houston. Um, but it does seem like there is still gonna be you know. Listen, I think we're still talking about tens of thousands yeah. of people who are going to be there. Um, have you heard about the manufacturers? Because this is one of the other draws, right, for the interannual meeting. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on. The uh, NRA ILA Leadership Forum. We'll talk about that in a minute. But it's you know, it's the acres and acres of guns and gear uh, that mm-hmm. often bring NRA members out to an event like this. 
we saw at SHOT Show there were a number of major manufacturers who simply weren't there, right, either because of COVID or uh, other concerns. They just said not not the. Have you heard any uh, companies that might be taking a similar approach to the NRA show this weekend? You know what? That's a good question. I actually haven't heard anything concrete about uh, major brands skipping this year. Uh, you know, I don't know if they're going to stick by that same policy they had for shot. And maybe you'll have that same mix, which was frankly still most gun companies. Um, mm -hmm. And that and shot show was really on the sort of and CES, like you mentioned, we're kind of on that. The, the tail end of the last real serious restrictions over COVID and and people uh, really being cognizant of uh, of COVID in your sort of day to day lives, uh, you know, uh, I just at least on an anecdotal level personally, it doesn't feel like people are as concerned with it. Like it's just part of life now that COVID is here and uh, it's existing at a low level probably forever. Uh, you know, it feels like, and so I don't know that people are as worried about adjusting things, but it's an interesting question for the major companies, because obviously there's more, more of a risk associated with you send your whole company to a, a, con a convention and you happen to uh, get unlucky and have a COVID outbreak among your staff, that's going to be a negative thing for your operating uh, ability in a you know in, in a tightening economy too so it, but uh then that's also a reason to maybe try and drum up some business at something like this i, I don't know uh, i haven't but i haven't heard any you know word about big companies not going to the nra annual meeting this year okay yeah and Certainly we didn't see like a couple last of year right Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, last year, you know, there there really was no annual meeting. I mean, you basically had a members meeting that's required by law. And uh, that was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, I think uh, you and I were among the few media types to attend that meeting. Yes. Um, you know, and, and we did see, you know, there were a couple of different approaches. There were some companies that just stayed away entirely. There were some companies, as you say, had a, had a smaller footprint. We're bringing, you know, maybe half of the people that we would normally bring. Uh, because we want to keep the other half back home and, and and healthy. So, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of unknowns. And again, there are a lot of different factors, right? So let's say that uh, attendance is down significantly. Um, is, is that automatically because of COVID? Is, is it automatically because people are, you know, uh, uh, annoyed with what's going on with the NRA? Until you talk to those people who aren't there, I don't know that you're going to have a really good idea of what's uh, what, what's driving that because there are a lot of factors, but I think that undeniably, um, one of these factors is the turmoil that has surrounded the organization over the past couple of years, uh, and that brings us to uh, one of the storylines that I think you will be covering pretty closely this weekend. I know we'll be talking about it as well, uh, and that is uh, Alan West's challenge to Wayne Lapierre's leadership of the NRA. Uh, Alan West has announced that he is a candidate for executive vice president. Um, now, what's interesting here is that this is not a position that is actually picked by NRA members, right? So th this vote isn't going to take place on Saturday morning at the members meeting. This is something that the board will deal with after the annual meeting has really officially wrapped up for most of the attendees. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, it's something where we'll pro we're probably going to talk a lot about it because it's the first really significant challenge to Wayne LaPierre's leadership of the NRA internally um, ever. You know, he was, uh, there was, Rocky Marshall was put up last year as, as sort of a symbolic uh, last moment thing. 
uh, and he got two votes uh, on the board. Wayne got 44. So uh, it's not the literal first time, but it is Alan West is much more of a known quantity among board members and uh, NRA members generally than than Rocky Marshall is. And Rocky Marshall supports Alan West now, of course. But it's so it's it's certainly more of a high profile challenge, at least to to Wayne, at least as as much as Oliver North was, right? But he never challenged him for executive vice president. There was a whole series of internal fights that were different than than trying to get uh, elected by the board as as executive vice president. And so it's going to be interesting to see if there's been any more movement on the board to, away from Wayne. You know, he's he's ha- held a pretty tight grip over over the board and you know support from the board has been almost unquestioned at this point outside of a few dissenters a lot of the people who had spoken up you know in 2019 and recent years have have left the board uh, so you probably had i don't know 10 10 people maybe uh, that have resigned in that time who had expressed at least skepticism over what was going on with the organization uh, and so the people left are, are not your, you know, they're not your skeptics for the most part. So I don't know. Uh, but Alan West is obviously a very popular guy. He's, he's known by the board. He was on the board. He resigned himself last year. Mm-hmm. Maybe that has an impact. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, again, um, we don't know the answers to these questions, but they are legitimate questions. I, I, I'm curious, too, because, you know, it's one thing for. Uh, members and and these you know uh, descending board members to say look a, a change is needed but if you don't have a name right if you don't have somebody actually stepping up to the challenge um, then it's sort of a a hypothetical theoretical um, once you got a name attached though then all of a sudden you know that that you you got to deal with that individual's package right and so the fact that yep. Alan West walked away from the NRA board is that going to be something uh, when you're convincing or trying to convince NRA board members to go with somebody, is that going to have a negative impact? Uh, and we've certainly seen, um, it, it seems to me at least some board members are taking this threat seriously. I know that the uh, blog NRA in Danger had uh, reported on an email reportedly from uh, Marion Hammer, uh, urging board members to stay the course, uh, attacking Alan West, uh, which is kind of interesting because Alan West's uh, open letter to the board, never even actually mentioned Wayne LaPierre by name. Uh, he talked about why he felt a change was necessary. Uh, but uh, that, that email that uh, purported to come from Marion Hammer, um, NRA board member and uh, uh, head of the uh, Unified Sportsman of Florida, um, she did go after Alan West by name and, you know, told the board uh, all kinds of reasons why they need to stick by Wayne LaPierre. Ultimately, is this a it does. I don't want to say it boils down to a personality contest, but does it really boil down to whether or not the board is willing to stick with Wayne uh, through thick and thin, uh, or uh, are there enough board members who are are ready to make a change? I mean, is that ultimately it, it, that is what this is ultimately? I mean, this it seems to me like this is ultimately a referendum on uh, Wayne Lapierre's leadership, not necessarily going back to the 1990s, but going back to let's say the last three or four years. Yes. I mean, I think that's the bottom line with this vote is it's, it's a referendum on Wayne's continued leadership of the NRA. And the only way he loses is if enough of the board believes that he can't 
turn the group around and get them out of the New York corruption case. Uh, that, that's the only thing, you know, I'm sure it helps to have somebody who is a more uh, credible figure in terms of their notoriety and popularity among NRA members, like Alan West is compared to somebody like Rocky Marshall, right? Um, uh, that probably helps the the cause. But the ultimate question is whether or not there's going to be a majority of the board members, the board members who show up, of course, because uh, a lot of them don't show up to these things. But uh, is there a majority in that group now that is given up on the idea that they're going to be able to get out of this New York corruption case and rebound the group's finances, which have suffered severely over the last three years, um, four years. And so that's what it's going to come down to. That's the only real reason you would think that there, there could be a, a change here is if the board has at this point changed their mind about the direction of the organization and and Wayne LaPierre himself, uh, and it's, that's, I mean, uh, you know, they've been through a lot, <laughs> a lot with him to this point, right? He took the the group into bankruptcy of his own volition without consulting them first, and then when they had an emergency board hearing about it, not only did most of the board, did a, did a large chunk of board members not show up for that hearing, that, that board meeting at all, but then they uh, almost unanimously passed a resolution backing up what Wayne had done. So, you know, it's, is that same board and there, you know, most of the people on that board are still there today. Is that same board now about to abandon Wayne um, for Alan West? That's the question. It, it, it sounds, I, I'm detecting maybe a note of skepticism uh, in, in your statement there. You, you, uh, if I had to ask, uh, or if I asked, do you think the odds are better or less than 50, 50? Uh, that uh, Alan West uh, wins this uh, the bid to take over as EVP. Uh, I think it's that Wayne is the odds-on favorite to stay in control. I think that West will perform better than Marshall, most likely. I just don't know that there's been anything that's happened over the last year since they did this vote last time around that's going to move, you know, Alan West being a more popular guy. You know, he's obviously mm -hmm. also a very polarizing guy, but he is certainly a very popular guy among uh, NRA members that he got on the board through petition. That, this is, I guess, another thing to maybe keep in mind about. West is probably more popular with NRA members, the general membership, than he is with the NRA board because he didn't even, he wasn't even nominated by the nominating committee on the, on the board. He had to get on through petition and he was reelected by, uh, by the members. So, you know, and then he made objections back in 2019. He was public about his wanting Wayne to resign and, you know, calling out a, he called it a cabal that controls the board. So he's been in public fights with the current NRA leadership for several years. And obviously the board has not generally gone in his direction in that time. Uh, and so uh, just looking at it from a practical standpoint, it's obviously hard to for me to imagine why things would have changed dramatically enough mm -hmm. to get the board to vote out Wayne. 
for for Alan West. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, uh, particularly in light of the fact that uh, the federal judge overseeing the uh, uh, the New York investigation by uh, Letitia James um, has taken the, uh, the the dissolution of the NRA off the table, uh, right. right? And so now these stakes are not quite as existentially high. Uh, for the organization. And, you know, Wayne could look to that and point to that and say, look, see, we, you know, we're, 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 we're steering the ship through treacherous waters, stay the course, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whatever, uh, 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 you know, um, little uh, uh, statement you want to make that you don't change horses in midstream, uh, whatever platitude you want to offer. But, you know, that, that would basically be the, uh, the argument is that we've, I've taken you this far, stick with me the rest of the way. Uh, and you're right. If I were a betting man, I would say that uh, the odds are that uh, Wayne Lapierre is going to survive this challenge. Maybe one of the other unknown questions and something that uh, I, I don't know if you'll be asking this question of NRA members, but how much of all of this, how much is all this resonating with the average NRA member? Are they even aware uh, of all of the, you know, behind the scenes battles over who's going to lead the NRA? Or are they focused more on you know, what's going on to protect my right to keep and bear arms? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a really important distinction to make, right? Because there is obviously uh, a difference between your average NRA member and your NRA board member. Um, and frankly, the group is set up in a way that makes it fairly difficult for your average NRA member to have that much input over who your average NRA board members are. There is obviously, an, these people are elected, but there are a lot of uh, factors involved that make it um, a, li- a bit opaque to the NRA is not perhaps immediately reflecting the will of its membership all the time because one, you have to be a five-year voting member or five-year member to vote or a lifetime member to vote in those elections, which cuts out potentially millions of members. Uh, you also have to um, get on the ballot and the main way to do that is by getting nominated by the nominating committee, which is part of the board. This is, again, go back to that Alan West situation. He wasn't originally nominated by the board to run for the board. And so, you know, you can see some of the issues at play there. And so the, what the board, what is going to convince the board may be very different from what convinces an average NRA member. Uh, and I've talked to some of them in in the past. They're, they just had the um, America, Great Out, American Outdoor Show up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I went to that and tried to talk to some of the NRA members that attended that show. And, you know, it does break through, but the, the message that I get is, you know, I don't necessarily get, wasn't necessarily getting, and people can read the piece and read people's words for themselves, obviously, which they should, I encourage them to do. But the message I was getting from most people was, uh, they not that they necessarily just trust Wayne or the board is doing everything correctly, but one, they still strongly believe in the mission of the NRA, right, to protect mm-hmm. gun rights. Uh, and then even more so, uh, oftentimes you'll hear a lot of people want to see the NRA do more with uh, firearms training, um, you know, and teaching uh, kids how to shoot and and uh, putting more effort into programs like that, which frankly have been cut to the bone the last uh, four years, the NRA, yeah. uh, if you look at their finances. But, uh, you know, people still like the there's a very strong brand for the NRA, right? That they're that they're there to protect your gun rights and that they're there to train people how to use firearms proficiently and safely. And people still believe in those missions, regardless of the corruption allegations or uh, and they might, you know, they they may not 
believe that Wayne is perfect or the board is perfect, but they believe in the organization itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so unfortunately the question is less about convincing your average NRA member uh, than it is about convincing your average NRA board member where the dynamics are very different. There's a lot of loyalty to Wayne LaPierre. They really believe that, that he has, uh, accomplished a lot for the organization and it would be wrong to replace him regardless of the allegations against him. And, you know, I don't, I don't get that from membership. Uh, I tell you that much. The most common thing that I hear from NRA members is that they won't give money to the NRA until Wayne is gone. That's the most common thing I hear about Wayne LaPierre in my reporting, just to be completely honest with you. Right. And, it, and and you might be getting some confirmation bias, uh, sure. you know, in terms of totally possible. From. But uh, again, we'll, I think, have a better idea of uh, how this is going to play out in just a couple of days. I'm looking forward to seeing you uh, on the ground in Houston and uh, we'll catch up in person, Stephen Katowski. Absolutely. It'll, I think it'll be a good time. It'll be a consequential annual meeting, I believe. Uh, we'll see what happens at that members meeting. I think that's going to be a big deal. That was a big blow up in 2019 and we haven't Mm -hmm. had a members meeting of that size since then you know that you'll get a better sense of how activated members are to get involved in this this internal fight by going to that members meeting yep absolutely and we'll be uh, covering it both i'm sure at the reload and at uh, bearing arms as well steve gatowski from the reload thanks so much for coming on the program sir always good talk with you today thanks for having me I appreciate Stephen joining us on the program. Now let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, our recidivist report as well. Let's start with our uh, recidivist report from uh, what well, not really. And by the way, this isn't really a true recidivist report because this guy's never been in trouble before. But I'm still just curious about this. You know, I've been hearing uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats talk a lot about the need to go after rogue gun dealers, right? Crack down on straw purchasers. And yet. I'm still seeing headlines like this. Richmond man identified as gun trafficking source gets probation for straw purchasing a pistol used in a Chesterfield crime. Yeah. So the reason why this individual, Justin Pate, was sentenced in federal court to two years probation as opposed to any prison time, uh, according to uh, the Richmond Times-Dispatch, is because a federal judge, Judge M. Hannah Locke, took into consideration arguments by the prosecution and defense that Pate has longstanding social and mental health vulnerabilities and likely was taken advantage of by people who were seeking firearms, even though they were prohibited by law, from purchasing them. Longstanding social and mental health vulnerabilities. Don't really know what that means. Um, According to uh, Pate's defense attorney, uh, Pate, actually this is, I guess, from the judge, uh, Locke noted that Pate, who has not previously been convicted of a crime, already has a good support system in place through his physicians and his mother, and the judge wanted to see that continue. She also noted that Pate had earned an online degree in criminal justice studies from the University of Phoenix, saying, quote, that shows you want to do good. The judge then sentenced Pate to two years of probation, which includes one year of wearing an electronic monitor device, but Locke said she'd be willing to remove that requirement based on Pate's progress and recommendations by probation officials. Pate, by the way, got about $20 for every gun that he purchased for somebody else. Um, 
Authorities say that they uh, learned after Pate's arrest of his mental health and physical issues, which prosecutors say uh, likely made him a, quote, prime target to people who could feign friendship with Pate in order to convince him to do them a favor. Uh, the uh, prosecutor said, well, the defendant was aware that his actions constituted lies and were wrong. He succumbed to peer pressure and desire for acceptance when he chose to participate in the crime. Again, I got to tell you, I'm really confused here. So there were emotional and perhaps physical vulnerabilities, but that those vulnerabilities did not preclude Mr. Pate from knowing the difference between right and wrong, according to the prosecutor. He was aware that his actions constituted lies and were wrong. And yet, probation. I, I Again, I'm just a little confused here, given the crackdown on straw purchasing that we are supposed to be seeing on the part of the Department of Justice and the Biden administration. Uh, and prosecutors, again, went along with the departure from sentencing guidelines. So they didn't object to this. Uh, again, I wish I had more information to give you. But this is just sort of a weird story uh, out of a Richmond, Virginia, where somebody, again, convicted of taking part in a straw purchasing scheme, getting away with a slap on the wrist. Today's armed citizen story from Wyoming, where a, a woman shot her ex-boyfriend who broke into her home and attacked her boyfriend. This was Saturday. Uh, according to the woman, her ex showed up. Just as the headline said, forced his way inside of her home where her current beau was staying, uh, then assaulted the current boyfriend, the woman fearing for the life of her uh, 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 dating partner as well as herself, then grabbed a gun, shot her ex, uh, who was airlifted to a local hospital at uh, last report, was still alive, although uh, suffering from serious injuries. The uh, local sheriff's department says that uh, all of the evidence matches the eyewitness statements, and at this point... Nothing indicates that this is anything other than a clear-cut case of self-defense. Finally today, our good deed of the day from Indiana, where a conservation officer in the right place at the right time and heard the right thing to alert him to some trouble uh, out on the water. This was, uh, I guess it was last Thursday. Uh, Hunter Law, patrolling the lake. Uh, this is Lake Miss... I'm probably not going to pronounce this correctly. Mississinawa Lake? maybe, in central Indiana. So he's out there last Thursday morning, about 1025, when all of a sudden he hears a boat engine rev up and then cut out. So he made his way over to the boat, didn't see anybody on board the boat. He found a 76-year-old man just underneath the surface of the water, Robert Boyd. Uh, Law was then able to pull Boyd from the water, took him to shore. Medics took him to the hospital. Boyd was not wearing a life jacket. He had a safety lantern attached to the engine cutoff switch. So when he fell overboard or was thrown off the boat, that cut off the engine. And thankfully, uh, Hunter Law, with the uh, Indiana Office of Conservation, uh, recognized, okay, that's, if not cause for alarm, at least a little concerning. Uh, and if it were not for the actions of Hunter Law, I think it is safe to say that uh, Robert Boyd may have passed away that day. Instead, a, a life was saved thanks to Honor Law's quick action and a fast response. And we do thank him for his very good deed.
That is all the time we've got for you on this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. We'll be back tomorrow with even more Second Amendment news and information from all across the nation. But don't forget to check out BearingArms.com in the meantime. And if you like what you see, you can always become a VIP subscriber. Uh, not only will you get exclusive news stories, commentary you won't find anywhere else, that's special for our VIP subscribers, you'll get the warm, fuzzy feeling of knowing that you are supporting independent pro-Second Amendment journalism, which is our mission at Bearing Arms. All you got to do, go to BearingArms.com slash subscribe, use the promo code GUNRIGHTS, and you can get a significant savings on your VIP membership. Your support does matter. It does make a difference. I thank you for it very much. And I look forward to talking to you again tomorrow. Until then, be well, be safe, and be free.